Rock and roll. It's your daily dose of all things Gamecocks on the Inside the Gamecocks podcast. Here's J.C. Sherbert. Inside the Gamecocks podcast, J.C. Sherbert here with you. Happy March 25th, everyone. Good to be with you yet again. A lot of topics to get to today. Uh, this is a, a podcast that covers South Carolina Gamecocks, and there's never a, a dull moment, it seems, uh, talking about different things uh, in Gamecock land. Going to be a little more football-focused today uh, as spring practice rolls on. First practice in pads. Shane Beamer just finished up a press conference. Uh, going to have some uh, discussion about what he said. Going to talk a little special teams, wide receivers, uh, that type of thing as we kind of get into it. But first and foremost, South Carolina released today uh, the deal on the spring game. Everybody was asking about that. Obviously, we're still plowing our way through the COVID situation. And uh, so there's going to be some limitations. Uh, Gamecock club members have first access to the tickets uh, from today until Monday. So if you're a Gamecock club member and you want to get tickets to the spring game, uh, get those between now and Monday, and they're free for you guys. Now, to the general public, non-Gamecock club members, they are $5, uh, and they start uh, going on sale on, on March 29th, Monday, at 10 a.m. Um, Mobile-only ticketing uh, to provide access to williams Bryce Stadium, uh, and they, they'll have the stickers there uh, for you guys to kind of uh, know where to sit. So that's the deal with the spring game there. Uh, clear bag policy in effect, just giving you guys the details here. Um, a 9,000 is what they're talking about being into the game. Uh, you got to get your tickets in advance to uh, ensure entry into the stadium. You can also reserve a tour of the new traditions and Cockaboos Club areas while you're ordering your tickets online. Uh, and then the box office prior to the game will open 90 minutes prior to kick to sell any remaining tickets or to issue you your tickets uh, if you have to go to the box office for any reason. Uh, so that's kind of cool, you know, taking those uh, tours of the new club areas, which, you know, did not get to get used this year because we're in a COVID situation. But uh, looks like well, by the time the season starts this season, you know, things are going to be back to normal and Everybody's going to be enjoying everything there. The game, for those of you that don't want to go or aren't going or can't go, it will be on SEC Network Plus. That's uh, kind of where you've been watching the baseball games. You can stream it on the ESPN app. Uh, and I'm sure that uh, it's a little different because, you know, usually it's on they, – they try to get them all on SEC Network. Uh, but uh, SEC Network Plus for it. And uh, I did not mention the date of the game. Uh, Saturday, April 24th, so right, you know, short of a month – We'll have the uh, Garnet Black Spring game there at Williams Price Stadium. Certainly going to be good to see something normal happening again. You know, there wasn't a spring game last year. Um, just kind of a we're kind of cattywampus approach to the football season. So it'll be good for things to get back to normal. And of course, we've talked at length about the fact that uh, official visits are back on uh, starting in June and, and all that good stuff. So I and, and on that note, I'll get to this. I, I read something. I don't remember who it was, but it was a column about – and it wasn't the columnist saying this. He, he was quoting some other people saying that, oh, the, the pandemic and the Zoom thing has changed recruiting as we know it. And, and look, man, I, I'm going to say this. I don't, I, don't, I don't buy that at all. 
I think it's it's totally yet another bunch of folks. And again, I'm not blaming the columnist. I don't even remember who wrote it, but you know, a bunch of folks like hoping that that we kind of stay locked down and and all that, or, or, or a bunch of folks not understanding recruiting at all. I mean, you can't really make a decision based on virtual stuff. Uh, I think, especially a big decision like a college decision. Uh, now some kids had to do it because that's just what they had to do. But look, man, um, I, I disagree with that. I, I think that you're going to be able to, moving forward, seek staffs, use Zoom as a tool uh, and say, hey, look, you know, we're all here. We're looking at you face to face. That's all good. But I don't think it's going to replace the in-person stuff because the in-person stuff is very, very important. Uh, you, you get a different feel when you're in person around anybody than you, you are when you're communicating over the phone or over text message or even over a Zoom call. So it's a different feeling. Um, and, and you get a different feeling when you're in a in a place physically rather than seeing it and experience it, it through the computer. Now, we're going to talk about virtual reality and some things like that. You know, it, it could be uh, – it could be a little. So, yeah, I mean, it's I don't I don't think that recruiting is going to change. I think this may give you another tool, but that's about it. So anyway, on the spring football, um, talked about the spring game, obviously 9000 fans. Oh, face mask. You have to wear face mask for those of you that, you know, are pro or anti face mask. That's that's relevant information. Don't roll up there without a mask. Um. And do all that good stuff. All right, so going to talk special teams, and and this is something that probably does not get the credit that it deserves uh, when you're going through talking about South Carolina and their prospects in 2021. Gamecocks have both kicker and punter coming back. Parker White's back. Parker White can set some records. Um, Parker White's missed some field goals over the years, but he's made some, including some game winners. Uh, I think it's good to have a known entity there because I think over the years, as we've all seen, when there hasn't been a known entity, sometimes that position struggles. Sometimes it hasn't. Coach Spurrier did a really good job. Uh, and frankly, Muschamp did too. I think 2017, after Elliot Fry left, you know, it was kind of an adventure at the beginning. But then Parker White sort of solidified it, and, uh, and then they went from there. But uh, Coach Furrier always seemed to find kickers. They always found a kicker, you know, whether it was Spencer Lanning, Ryan Suckup at the beginning, uh, Josh Brown, who could kick early on pretty well, uh, you know, on into Elliott Fry. You know, they did a good job of that. But it's still a convenience when you, when you have a guy that you know has gone out there and kicked in front of 80,000 people and that, you know, knows what he's doing. And uh, Parker White certainly that. And so I, I think that uh, – when you look at it from that standpoint, that's that's probably a pretty good thing, uh, and something that sort of gets lost when you when you're talking about you know players things of that nature. And then, uh, lo and behold, um, after kind of a rough start last year, Kai Kroger ended up being one of the best young punters I, I think in the Southeastern Conference. If you look at his numbers and some things like that, you know he. Uh, he really did well from Lake Forest, Illinois. He's a lefty, 6'3", 200. Uh, SEC coaches all freshman selection. Uh, first scholarship punter for the program since Joseph Charlton, who obviously was really good. 
Um, 39 punts for 1,690 total yards along with 53, seven punts of 50-plus yards. Placed eight inside the 20 with only two touchbacks. Uh, you know, SEC Special Teams Player of the Week honors. Uh, and, you know, got off to a tough start against Tennessee early on. You know, Kai Kroger was not great, but ended up being really, really good. Lake Forest, Illinois High School up in the Chicago area, sort of up the northern part of Chicago land. Uh, but certainly uh, I think that's an important thing too when you're talking about special teams and field position and flipping the field, you know, and I know Coach Muschamp talked about that a lot and some of you probably don't want to hear about it, the the vertical field position, uh, as he liked to say. But, hey, just because Muschamp said it doesn't mean it's not important. You know, I think this is very important having both kickers back and having that position solidified because you don't want to get a situation where you're plugging – holes elsewhere and then all of a sudden your special teams let you down pete limbo comes in as the special teams coach universally uh, i've heard nothing but great things about this guy i was a big fan of his when he was the head coach at ball state because he won football games as a head coach at ball state which is not easy to do he's been at elon uh, and won just about everywhere he's been as a head football coach uh, and he's uh according to everybody i've talked to they've they think they're going to make some things happen on special teams this year, which you sort of expect from a Shane Beamer coach football team. We've all heard of Beamer ball and all that, but, and I think that too, you know, the kicking game is set up good as in terms of having both kickers, but you know, find long snappers. You, you got to find guys that can cover kicks. Um, you know, you, you have to find guys like that. And, and that's where I think some of these players that we talk about are going to make a big impact here. You know, your Debo Williams of the world, if he's not a starter at linebacker, he's a guy that certainly can cover kicks. Uh, on the other end of that spectrum, a guy like Damani Staley, who's been a special teams player uh, his entire career at South Carolina, has experience doing that along. Sherrod Green's a guy like that. Um, you know, Zaquandre White played really good on special teams last year. Um, and so there are some players there. I, you know, the depth is going to be an issue uh, on certain spots in this football team, but yeah, and that can affect your special teams negatively. But I think they'll be fine in terms of, you know, the schemes and the kicker and all that. So that's that's a positive thing that maybe, you know, you're not going to talk about a whole lot just because everybody, you know, worries about offense and defense. And nobody likes to punt, so so nobody's excited when the punter comes on the field. <laughs> uh, nobody likes to kick field goals, you know, so the only time you're, you're really – excited when the place kicker comes on the field is uh is when it's a game winner or whether it's or it's an extra point after a touchdown so that that's what gets people fired up so you don't talk about it but that's uh i wanted to mention that because that that is a spot on the football team uh, that, that i think can be a bright spot as long as like i said that depth situation with guys that can cover and, and things of that nature um you know you, you need guys like that uh, that's another reason too in recruiting why I think the walk-home program with the in-state kids they're trying to implement, um, especially with the guys they got this year, you know, those guys are all athletic guys. And, and I think, you know, there's a spot on the team for guys like that. Now, you know, Muschamp and Spurrier had different philosophies on special teams. Spurrier would load it up with walk-ons and things like that. And sometimes the results weren't all that good. <laughs> uh, and it must have played more starters and, and second line guys and, and things of that nature. And, and I thought really, to be honest, 
with with few exceptions, and there were some exceptions, that, that South Carolina special teams or kick coverage units and things like that were were solid. You know, I, I think obviously in the return game when you have Debo Samuel, you're going to be elite uh, kick, returning kickoffs. And and I thought, you know, I wish South Carolina would have found a better option at punt returner maybe than Brian Edwards, just because. Not that Brian wasn't good at that, because he was at times. Uh, but I felt like guys like Jam Williams, you know, had they been able to hold on to the ball a little better, could have been a little more dynamic back there. But we'll see. And that's the the returners, too, are going to be interesting. Is You know, I mentioned Dakarian Joyner in an article I wrote recently. Uh, Dakarian Joyner actually, you know, the Kentucky game was his best game, the last game of the season. And that's what we remember. But uh, he became a pretty good kickoff returner during that time. Uh, and then for punts, who knows? <laughs> I, I think that's a who knows. Could it be a Marion Brown? Uh, could it be one of the defensive backs? You know, I, I don't. I don't know. I don't know. I don't have that answer. But that's certainly an answer that's probably going to come as we move on through spring practice. All right. So another spot on the field that everybody's talking about, probably more than special teams, is Justin Stepp and his wide receiving core. Um, Shane Beamer today during the press conference mentioned EJ Jenkins. Uh, he, he's a guy that right now is working with Eric Kimry's group uh, as far as the tight ends go. But these tight ends, keep in mind, when you look at the system and you, and you look back at Oklahoma and kind of how they used guys that, that played H-back tight end, and Shane Beamer, of course, coached that position, they were all over the field. Going back to the Mark Andrews days, you know, at, at Oklahoma, that those guys were – all over the field. They used them in a lot of different ways and uh, H-backs, tight ends, whatever. And, and so you look at that group and, and that group is going to get used. And, you know, so working EJ Jenkins there is not bad. He's 6'7", 242. So you, you look at the mismatch there and it's possible, but but Beamer didn't say that was a definite that he's only going to play there. He's, they're going to try to move him around, uh, which I think number one is smart in terms of when he approaches his ceiling and there's no guarantee he'll do it this year or, or the next, I mean, you, you have to get there. You know, obviously you, you can project all you want, but a player has to get there as he approaches his ceiling. You know, that's a guy that can really help you uh, in both spots. And, and also when he's learning all of that on the fly, there's no time to overthink. And, and I think when guys struggle uh, to adjust to the speed of the game when they go up a level, a lot of times it's it's due to overthinking because you're going uh, from a place or and maybe maybe not at St. Francis because that's not like coming from high school, but you're coming from a high school offense to a college offense, which is much more, much more complex, or from a college to a pro um, going up a level, and uh, you know so so not only are you not able to just rely on your athletic ability because you're not that much more athletic than everybody else. Uh, you have mental things, you know, you're swimming mentally quite a bit. Uh, and that's what causes guys to do things like drop passes or run the wrong route or whatever. But I, I think when you're, when they're, th you're throwing a lot at you in practice and you're trying to nail down two different positions, sometimes you just don't have time uh, to think that much. And I, and I think that could be a positive uh, for EJ Jenkins. Uh, Shane Beamer mentioned, or Trey Smith, Josh Van. Rico Powers and Jalen Brooks today by name. Um, going to just go through these guys. You know, Ortre, obviously in 2017, uh, he caught 30 passes and looked like he belonged. Uh, really good in the red zone guy. Uh, got open. 
and then since then it's just been a struggle health wise. So if he's back, he's six four, he's two hundred twenty eight pounds. You know, he, he could be a matchup issue. He's not the fastest guy in the world, but uh, he could be a matchup issue size wise, especially matched up against a smaller corner. Always good to hear good things about Josh Van. You know, he, he's a player that has kind of been average, I would say, since he's been at South Carolina. Uh, struggled with some injuries. It was a shame because there's been times where I've, I've thought Josh Van's coming on and then something sets him back. Uh, so good to hear good things about him. Obviously, Rico Powers got into some games last year and then went away like some guys and some other guys did. And uh, he's a player that uh, at least the previous staff felt like could take the top off of defense and, you know, had a world of ability. I mean, I know I, I thought talent-wise, he's a lot like Shaq Rowland coming out. Uh, of course, it took Shaq till his second year to get better. Um, other people compare him to Pharaoh Cooper. So Rico Powers, I mean, he was a low four-star guy. Uh, certainly, I think talent-wise has the ability. And then Jalen Brooks, I you know, I think last year was so frustrating with everything and, and then how Jalen, you know, LSU, the debut, he couldn't get off the line. The pick gets thrown. I think the – and then, then the drops. I think the easy thing to do is just toss him aside. But athletically, if you look at it, he he didn't look like he didn't belong. And as the season went on and he got more comfortable, I mean, he could catch some passes. And so I'm not ready to give up on him yet either. Uh, He's big. He's fast. Obviously, we talked about adjustment to the speed of the game and all that coming from Wingate. It's it's different. Uh, But uh, he wasn't given a lot of time. I mean, it was all of a sudden he was eligible and they just threw him in against LSU and – I mean that's that's a different ball game. So I, I think I think his comfort level is important this year because because again when you're not comfortable you do things like drop passes or fail to get off the line or run the wrong route uh, and that can be a disaster uh, obviously. But uh, Beamer also went through and said that the entire group the receivers are looking good and working hard and I think that's that's good you know because that that's a question mark uh, and there are a lot of different options there but nobody that's really proven anything. Uh, and so you, you look at it, you know, who's going to catch passes. And, you know, you've heard good things about guys like Chad Terrell this offseason, you know, working hard, finally healthy. Uh, and you still have Randrikas Davis out there. You, you've got Amarian Brown, who I mentioned, Dakarian Joyner, Xavier Leggett, um, a lot of guys. So I'll be very curious to see how all of this goes and who ends up doing the playing and catching the passes and all that. My guess is, uh, as is normally the case around here, uh, I think you'll see a guy probably step up and catch nine or 10 passes uh, when it comes to the spring game. (laughs) And then that guy's probably not going to be the best receiver. That's that's just kind of how it happens in South Carolina Uh, and probably everywhere. You know, there's guys that at receiver that light up the spring game and they're getting a lot of reps because they need it, you know, and and I don't know who that's going to be, but we'll see sort of what happens. Maybe this year it's different. Maybe this year uh, the star of the spring game will carry that through and, and be a guy that turns in a pretty good 2021 season. But it's going to be interesting to see what happens. I, I, I agree with Shane Beamer when he, he called Justin Stepp the best receivers coach in the country, and I'll tell you why. I, I think guys that can go into situations uh, and, and kind of, you know, 
make something out of nothing. Uh, does that make sense? Make something out of nothing, but uh, take over a roster situation and maximize it, I guess would be a better way to put it. Uh, I saw him do it at SMU. SMU was a terrible roster situation when Chad Morris took over and step goes and does that. And I saw him do it at Arkansas, Arkansas. Uh, some of that is his recruiting that's shined through with their receiving core, but uh, he got some of those guys that were there already ready. It wasn't, their receivers' fault that they weren't that good. So, Justin Stepp, I think, is, was almost the perfect guy to hire this position. You know, not only because he's an outstanding recruiter and uh, a guy that's from South Carolina and all that that wants to be a gamecock and a part of the staff, but just because of how he can coach guys up. You know, Steve Spurrier Jr. Uh, what say what you want about him and his personnel decisions in recruiting and then as far as who played and stuff like that play calling, whatever you want to criticize him for. Uh, one thing was his receivers did not did not drop passes. They all ran good routes, and, and they were productive uh, when, when they needed to be. And I think that's very important with what this program at South Carolina right now needs. They need guys that can be productive, you know, guys that aren't going to drop passes when the, when the pass is there, uh, that type of stuff. I, I don't know how talented this group is. Uh, there's some guys that had some good a good rep coming out of high school, like Ortre Smith and Josh Van and Rico Powers, who I mentioned. Um, and there's some guys that didn't have any rep at all, like Jalen Brooks and Amarian Brown or EJ Jenkins. Uh, and, and you could maybe draw names out of a hat and say, you know, these guys are going to be pretty good, uh, or, or these guys could be pretty good, but they may not be. So, so that's that's the thing there. And then you sort of mix in the uh, tight ends and H-backs, and you have to think that there is a shot that South Carolina is going to have a competent receiving core just when you mix all that together. You know, whether that's using two tight ends and in kind of a spread formation uh, or whether that's four wide or five, you know, the the formations can take on different looks, obviously. That sounds obvious. Formations do take on – that's what a formation is. It's a different look. But, uh, uh, you know, so so you look at it and I think – I think there's hope. Uh, I'm curious to see who ends up standing out, but I did think it was, you know, Beamer mentioning these guys by name. That means he's caught Beamer's eye. These guys have caught it once or twice. And and it's no surprise. I mean, or, or Trey Smith, you know, when, when he's healthy, I mean, you look at him, you're like, my gosh, you know, he's, he's a big freaky guy. Um, you know, Rico Powers, obviously, we talked about him and, and I mentioned Brooks. And, and, and then, you know, if Van can be better and Van can – get to where everybody thought he would be, then that's just a positive for the Gamecocks. You know, you don't – a lot of times you're not going to hold your breath on some of these guys, but uh, I think that would be a, a very big positive uh, for South Carolina. All right, women's basketball coming up. Georgia Tech in the Sweet 16. Georgia Tech is a uh, resurgent women's basketball team. There aren't that many Cinderella's left in the women's tournament, but uh, somebody pointed out today – that if there was, Georgia Tech would probably be one of the two or three. Nell Fortner is their head coach. Um, I think Dawn Staley and her group, you look at Maryland on the other side there, that's that's probably where this is headed, uh, is Maryland, not to discount Georgia Tech or anything. But, uh, you know, certainly I think Tech is going to be a challenge uh, for South Carolina. Um, but uh, it was I, I thought that, 
you know, when you when you look at the first couple of games, Mercer and and, and then Oregon State, uh, you know, this group is playing better and better as we move on. It's we're going to have a reunion Friday episode with Keith coming up tomorrow, pretty much likely. And um, he's in San Antonio today, so we didn't get to have a reunion Thursday, so we'll have a reunion Friday. Uh, and we'll get more into the weeds on this and, you know, how this team will go. But the tip-offs on Sunday afternoon. So South Carolina, obviously, chasing that national title. You know, eighth Sweet 16 in 13 years for Dawn Staley, which I think is uh, tremendous. Baseball team, another big series. And, look, you're going to hear me say this every week. Um, thought the win at Vandy in game three was huge. I was talking to somebody today that covers baseball in the SEC, and he said, man, Vandy's just at another level with the talent they have. This may even be Tim Corbin's best team he has up there. So he's for South Carolina to go up there and play them like they did, even though they got no hit that second game of the series and that's always embarrassing, but you know, three to two, and then you win a one run game. He's like, that, that's very competitive. Uh, Florida's ranked number five in the country uh, coming in. Uh, we all know about the Gators. They've with Vandy sort of the, the last part of this decade, they've been up there too, won national championships under Kevin O'Sullivan. So it doesn't get any easier, but uh, I think if the Gamecocks can salvage this series, then you go to Georgia and then Missouri, so you got six games there that you can play with, and then whew, turns around at LSU, Arkansas, at Ole Miss, Mississippi State, and then at Kentucky and Tennessee to close it out. But, uh, boy, that Arkansas, Ole Miss, Mississippi State stretch is something else because those teams are way up there too. Uh, but certainly, uh, it, it, you know, this, this weekend, Mark Kingston actually said – he doesn't know who's going to start the Sunday game. So we'll see uh, how the pitching rotation changes um, before the game cocks this weekend against the Gators coming in to Founders Park, the Gators. Uh, so that's uh, that's what's going on there. I think I've touched on everything. Oh, I didn't touch on the basketball search or basketball coaching situation. Um, still kind of stuck here. Uh, everybody I talked to is kind of stuck as far as it goes. Uh, again, I said it yesterday. I'll say it today. I, I have no reason to believe there won't be – the outcome won't be the same. Um, obviously, there's a process that, that, that's taking place. And uh, I'm not privy to what exactly uh, the holdup in the process is. From, from, from what I've been told, it, it's simply they're kind of waiting on the DePaul job to be filled, see if Frank gets that or whatever. But, you know, it looks like DePaul's probably hiring Kenny Payne. Um I don't know what else is out there. So, you know, we'll see. I, and, and, look, like I said, it's best for everybody involved if Frank does get another job. And uh, that'll save Carolina the buyout money. Uh, it'll save, you know, Frank won't get be getting fired. Uh, and, you know, you, you kind of – it's just kind of just kind of be a situation that ran its course, which I think is the truth of the situation. I, I think when you talk about the Frank Martin era at Carolina, it's not that he's done bad. I mean, the, the before this year, the previous five-year stretch was the best in 40 years in terms of not having losing seasons. Um, and it didn't really – the bottom didn't really fall out until this year. Uh, and there are reasons for that, and, and I think valid reasons for that. But 
you know, I also think that when you talk about things that just didn't work out time to move on kind of deal, uh, you know, I, I think there's some, some credibility with that. And I think that it's not anybody's fault, so to speak. Uh, I think that it's, it's time for new people say all the time when guys get fired, it's time for new leadership. And that, that that's kind of AD speak for, I'm firing this guy. But, but I think, again, the truth of this matter is it's time for new leadership. It's time for maybe Frank Martin to have a new challenge. Uh, and I think that's the truth. Now, if something crazy happens and he comes back, then I'm fascinated to see. And I think it's a great story to follow and talk about how the roster is going to change and turn over, over the years. You know, you got the transfer portal over the next year. Um, and so that sometimes gives you hope when you're talking about, you know, you can have three or four new guys that could be good. But like I said, is, you know, Frank Martin's a developmental coach. I said this yesterday, guys do it, that guys are at their best when they're in his program multiple years and get better. Uh, and, and even the guys in the NBA, Chris Silva, who, by the way, got traded to the Kings today from the heat, you know, he stuck with it and got better. PJ Dozier was only there two years, but the difference between PJ Dozier when he started his career at Carolina and PJ Dozier during the final four run was night and day, you know, Sidarius Thornwell was always good, but was he, you know, national player of the year type good like he was his last year? No. Uh, Mike Coates are, is an example of that. Michael Carrera. I mean, you can go on and on and on, but those are the guys that tend to do the best under Frank Martin. It's not the guys that come in now. There are some examples like, you know, Frank Booker, who was significantly better under Frank Martin than he was at his previous stop. You know, Trey Campbell's a guy like that that was better. You know, Trey Campbell wasn't going to win you, you know, the SEC, but but Trey Campbell was a lot better, you know. And so there are some examples of that. I just – I question whether or not that's going to get the T program back to the NCAA tournament, which it seems like that's what everybody wants. And that's the bottom line. And so – or to go the postseason. And I don't know, because like I was talking to somebody again today um, that covers basketball in the SEC, and this league is just not getting any better at all. I mean, I mean, sorry, any easier at all. It's not getting any easier. So very unforgiving. Uh, you know, when you're talking about Ben Howland maybe being, being on the hot seat next year at Mississippi State, that's Ben Howland, you know, we're talking about here. And so um, it's going to be interesting to see sort of what happens moving on. I you know, I, like I said, I've been given no reason to believe the outcome's not going to be the same. I just, you know, a lot – it's been kind of a dragging of the feet. Um, and, and, look, I'm fine with that if that's because they're waiting to see if Frank can get a job. I think he deserves that kind of respect. I don't think it's going to make it make a hill of beans as far as, like, what coaches South Carolina can hire. Um, I don't think it's that – much of a deal where you, you got to have it now. You can always communicate through back channels, which I think's happened. Uh, and so, you, you know, I, I don't think it's other than fans being impatient and all of us wanting a resolution to the situation. I don't think that's big of, the big of a deal. Now, now let's say that there's some hold up, maybe with the board of trustees and not wanting to pay the buyout. Well, that's a different story. Because that, that goes to commitment to your sport. Uh, and I'm not saying that, you know, 
look, if there are people that are philosophically opposed to getting rid of Frank Martin because they think he got a raw deal and you just don't want to make the move right now, then, then I'm, I'm with you. I mean, I, that, that's fine. I mean, I think that's not, that's not something crazy, you know, to be thinking. Um, but if, if, if you believe and you're in a position of authority at South Carolina, and if you believe well, you, that change needs to happen, but, but you're worried about the money, then, then you need to look around and, and, and understand you're in the Southeastern conference. You're in the Southeastern conference. Um, you know, you, you, you let things like that and, you know, that's not, that's a drop in the bucket <laughs> money-wise. It's, it's a lot of money to most people here on this podcast, especially me, but it's a drop in the bucket, you know, as far as competing. And you also spread that out over time and, and all that. Um, but I, I think that if you're, if, if you're in that position where you, you think, well, you know, not going to spend the money on it, then, then that means you don't want to spend the money on basketball. And that gets to the heart of why the program's not, never been able to be consistent. And, and I'm not blaming the board of trustees. I mean, that would be dumb to say it's the board of trustees fault because basketball hadn't been consistent. There's a lot of blame to go around, but if, if you're not willing to make the move, you know, based on money and the, you know, what you're basically communicating is, well, it doesn't matter. That sport does not matter here on campus. And look, to a lot of people, it does. I mean, myself included, men's basketball in South Carolina. You know, I mean, it's it's not just something to pass the time between football and baseball. I think some people act like that. But, uh, you know, that, that's my thing there. Uh, and, like, I, I have no knowledge. You know, last I, I was told about the BOT, they were on board with whatever changes need to be made. And so I think that, you know, I'd be surprised it would maybe have taken a change of heart uh, by some people. But like I said, I don't know what exactly every single member of the board of trustees is thinking at all times. Uh, and I'm glad I don't because that would be t- I got to keep up with what recruits are thinking, coaches are thinking, a lot of people are thinking. I don't, I don't want to have to think about what the BOT is thinking at all times. So I don't know that, you know, that was universal that, that they were behind a change, but last I heard they were. So we'll see kind of what happens with all that. Did want to get to the Frank Martin thing, give you a Frank Martin update today uh, as we continue to kind of look and see what happens. By the way, please continue to rate this podcast on Apple Pods. Um, appreciate that. Write a little review if you want to. Where I wanted to get to a thousand ratings. Uh, by the time football season ended, and I'm not, I'm very, I'm a, I'm a bit short, but in fairness, you know, when that was happening, we we're rolling along, it had kind of a daily product, kind of didn't do the daily product for a while, took Christmas off. So I understand. And then football went south and the basketball went south. And there wasn't any, even any basketball to talk about for a month because they were off because of COVID. Um, so anyway, now that we're kind of back and rocking and rolling, if you guys wouldn't mind doing that, but uh, that's fine. I appreciate uh, appreciate everybody that's done it so far. Also, the mailbag you can tweet to at the Big Spur Pod. You can also email inside the Gamecocks at gmail.com. and uh, we'll get to you there. Also, want to remind everybody about the Big Spur.com, uh, a pretty good 
story that I just retweeted from Hale McGranahan on at the Big Spur Pod, that Twitter account. Uh, Beamer updated the Gamecock starting quarterback battle. Luke Doty right now is running with the ones. Jason Brown is just now getting out to practice because he had an illness. And so, you know, the Gamecocks are, are you know, sort of going to see what he can do now. But uh, Doty's running with the ones right now. And so we'll see ultimately uh, what happens. Uh, oh, pro day yesterday. Congratulations to J.C. Horn for the 439 in the 40-yard dash. I think he's pretty much solidified himself as a uh, as a guy that's going to probably go pretty high in the NFL draft. I think it's been he and Patrick Sertain from Bama. Uh, and so we'll see what happens with that. But all the guys had good workouts and – We'll see what happens there. Uh, I know that Shamik Blackshear had a little thing to say on Twitter, former Gamecock defensive lineman, said uh, that um, you know he was mad because he didn't get an invite. Well, well, first and foremost, you know, and there were guys there like Tavy and Feaster that weren't at South Carolina their whole careers, but were at the, were there at the end. There were no guys that had left and, and gone elsewhere and then come back. Um, so that's that's number one. Number two, my understanding was it wasn't that, you know, they didn't want Shamik there. It's that, you know, you have COVID protocols now. So it's not just as easy as, as hey, uh, let's show up and, um, you know, bring your cleats and that's all good. You can't really do that. Um, and, and so it was a timing thing. You know, the, the Gamecock staff wasn't even aware of it until – the day before the, the event and, you know, you can't, you don't have enough time to test and get a, you know, there, there's a lot of things that have to happen uh, for that type of deal uh, to take place. And so uh, I wanted to kind of explain that because it, it's never a good look when an ex player talks about things like that. You, you want to kind of set the record straight because quite frankly, you know, Shane Beamer has done nothing but embrace, embrace, all the former players and including the guys like Horn and McWamu that, that opted out, you know, and, and left uh, before Bobo took over and um, during the season uh, he's welcomed those guys with open arms and it only makes the program look better, no matter who it is uh, for guys to go play professional football and to do it at a high level. So um, even though they weren't Beamer's players necessarily, that's uh, that's one of those things. So I, you know, I, I, I just noticed that uh, Shamik Blackshire thing. And, and Shamik's a guy that I had a lot of respect for as far as what he overcame to even get back on the field. So I hate that for him. Obviously, he went out to TCU. TCU didn't have a uh, – I guess they had a pro day. Maybe he wasn't there. I don't know. Um, you know. He did graduate from South Carolina. And I'm sure that had the timing been a little different, that – Shamik would have probably come and, and been invited. I mean, I don't, I don't think from what I was told, it wasn't that he was a guy that uh, they didn't want there. It was just a, the timing of it. You, you know, these days with events being scrutinized and, and and having to follow COVID protocols and stuff like that, you know, those are the rules. You, it's not just a situation, like I said, where you can show up, bring your cleats and let's roll. So that's uh that's the deal there. Uh, with Shamik and uh, and all that. So, pro day, I, I think Horn's going first round. Uh, I think Sedarius Hutcherson and Shai Smith should go fourth, fifth round, in my opinion, maybe a little higher. Uh, I think that he, Izzy McWamu could go anywhere from third round to undrafted. I, I know that 
NFL guys really like guys with upside. I think they all think they can coach him up. And Izzy does have the upside. So uh, we'll see kind of how all that plays out. I don't know if anybody else is on the radar of getting drafted, but uh, maybe they can sign some free agent deals uh, and all that. Certainly always want to be supportive of anybody chasing their dreams. Um, and obviously, like I said, the more these guys go and play good at the next level, the more South Carolina uh, looks good. All right. I mentioned the the mailbag. We have uh, one mailbag question today on Twitter uh, from Bullheaded. He says, on the last pod, you talked about Vandy's challenges in the SEC. And I've always wondered, has there ever been discussion about them moving to the Big Ten based on location and academic standards? Seems like a, on the surface, a good fit. Completely hypothetical. The Big Ten is interesting, and, and Vandy, no. I've never heard any discussion about Vandy joining the Big Ten. I know Missouri wanted badly to join the Big Ten, and they were a little butthurt that they took Nebraska because <laughs> uh, Missouri academically sort of fits the, the Big Ten profile. Obviously, you have a natural rivalry there with Illinois. Uh, I think a lot of that state uh, – state's kind of weird because it's, it's kind of the south and the south part, and then – it's northern in the cities, you know, St. Louis and Kansas City. But uh, but I do think that they gravitate more towards the Big Ten, um, you know, if you're not talking about the Big 12 rather than the SEC. Uh, as far as Vanderbilt, and, and then I also heard something else interesting when, when all this conference stuff was going on. Right before Maryland joined the Big Ten, there was a ton of talk about Virginia joining the Big Ten. Uh, obviously – I think Virginia would be like, you know, a prize deal for that league. Um, But you also have to think, too, in in the Big Ten, there's not, you know, Northwestern, which is the the school most similar to Vandy, is the outlier uh, in that league. Most of the schools in that league are large land-grant, state-supported universities. Um, 13 out of the 14, I think, are big land-grant schools. They have a ton of alums. Most of the schools have a ton of students, 60, 50, 60,000. Um, and, uh, and, and a crap, crap load of alumni. And they all care about football. Most of them care about football. Uh, I would say, you know, Indiana, which was one of the big stories in college football this past year, maybe, maybe that's a school that they tend to gravitate more towards hoops. But, boy, they had a great year this year. Uh, and so that that's the deal there. And so so you, you ask yourself, well, yeah, Nashville TV market would be great. The Big Ten, it's right there. But is Vandy a fit athletically? I'm, I'm certain academically they'd love to have them. But but athletically, you know, is do you want to add a Northern Northwestern? You know, it would be like the, would the SEC ever considering, consider adding Duke to the league? And the answer to that is yes. But – only if North Carolina came, <laughs> you know, if the SEC could add North Carolina and Duke, they would, they would add them both guarantee you. Um, but that's never going to happen. So, all right. So, so that's the thing there, but Vandy, uh, that's a good hypothetical. I, I just don't, I, I think in some instances it would, it would seem good and you would think, well, that would make a good fit. But then, like I said, for them, are you going to add another Northwestern, uh, to the posse up there when, like I said, the vast majority of your schools are these huge, you know, Midwestern land grant type schools with 
thousands of alumni that, you know, fill up big stadiums and, and all that and thousands of students, 60, 50,000 students, that kind of thing. Um, you know, and, and you really, you look around that league and that that's what it is. Even, you know, like Purdue is a big state supported school, just like, uh, you know, Indiana, everywhere else, Michigan state, Penn state, Michigan, Ohio state, um, you know, Wisconsin, yeah, that's Illinois. I mean, you know, Northwestern, like I said, is the outlier. Uh, so that's a pretty good, pretty good topic there. Uh, and a good topic to end it on right here on the Inside the Gamecocks podcast. Again, probably going to have reunion Friday coming up on Friday with my boy Keith. Uh, if we can get it together, maybe we may miss each other. I don't know. But um, hadn't nailed that time down yet, but you can look for that. And uh, obviously, you know, like I said, we're still kind of, on Frank Martin watch and um, and all that good stuff. But enjoy the weekend. If I if I don't talk to you, enjoy the weekend. Uh, enjoy the baseball series. It's a it's a mighty big one. And then um, you know women's basketball on Sunday. And then you know you got March Madness still going on as well. I'm sure uh, if you're like me, your brackets all screwed up. But um, I still have my chance. Michigan. I picked Michigan because I was like, well, nobody's talking about Michigan. They're all talking about Illinois. And sometimes that team you're not talking about ends up winning it. And that was just kind of a crazy thing. But Michigan's still alive, so I think they've got a tough go of it. But uh, they're still alive, so hopefully I can win that and win some money. All right, this is J.C. Sherbert, Inside the Gamecocks podcast, signing off, everyone. Have a wonderful day.